นโมทัสสะบุคควะทวารหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควะทวารหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควะทวารหัตโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนัมสัสมีสุขเวลคัมสัมมาเนรวิสุติมาขึ้นวันมาสเตปในหัวทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติทางปฏิบัติ Before he, uh, before he resumed being kneeled for a few hours, as many of you will know, was Shramanera Dogat for a year or two, and so he's had plenty of opportunity to look closely at the choice that he's making. And uh, I've checked him out. I've looked at him closely. He's been my personal attendant for four months, and he hasn't had an easy time. And uh, and he's he's passed in flying colours. All going well. One more year as a summonera, and then there will be the opportunity for him to ask, and and I would expect for him to be fully received into the bhikkhu sangha. I'm very pleased, as I'm saying, that all of you have. Have uh, taken the opportunity to be here and to to witness this, to take part in it, because it is, as I was saying, beginning a very auspicious sign. And I'm pleased that you're all taking photographs because I want you to take the photographs away and remember this, remember this sign. There's so many other things that we photograph and we put up on the wall and. You know, television, giving us photographs and images all the time, videos, and, and they don't. You look at these things, and they don't end up making you feel good. They don't end up make that you don't go away from from um, one of these watching some of these videos uh, with a good feeling. Whereas if you look at photographs of Samanera Visudi going forth, what feeling does it give you? Well, being here, being part of this occasion today, and what feeling does it give you? The gladness, the gladness, is a selfless gladness. Yeah. If, as I as I referred to in the beginning, if you get caught up in thoughts about, oh, I wish I could do that, or if I don't know if any of Dogat's old girlfriends are here, and and think, oh, what a pity, I've lost them. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't think there are any, but you know, these things do happen sometimes at ordinations. You know, and they say, "Oh, what a waste!" Well, that's 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 not that's not very helpful. Well, if you think like that, then you'll be unhappy. And what the Buddha was pointing out was, if you know how to think right, then you're naturally happy. And so that's why I warned you in the beginning: don't let your mind wander off into any heedless thoughts of, of you know, if only this or if only that, but rather to to enjoy the selfless gladness that comes when you see somebody doing something truly good. Yeah. 
And it doesn't have to be a young man going forth and becoming uh, a monk, or in this case a novice monk. You, know, just, you see goodness happening anywhere. You, know, you see generosity. You see you know, those of you that have children, and you, you see your children, your children being generous, and the gladness that arises. Why is there gladness there? Because there's selflessness there. When we practice generosity, we're giving away a little bit of ourself, of the, that which makes our life so difficult is being relaxed and being released a little bit. And when we see it, we naturally feel good. Or if you see somebody being patient. You know, as Buddhist monks, we are actually we're experts. That's what we're good at. Well, it's what we try to be good at. It's what we work on being good at. Being patient, sitting there, waiting, sometimes for hours, you know, for something to happen, nothing happens. Like, you know, when we go traveling and you haven't got any money and just waiting for... KC to turn up and pick you up and he's got stuck in traffic or if it's not KC, maybe it's Gore. <laughs> what do you do? You just practice waiting. And actually, waiting, conscious waiting or patient endurance is a wonderful thing. And when you see somebody who knows how to be patient, what do you feel? What a wimp? Well, if your mind is completely lost in worldliness, you might think like that, but if your mind has got any recognition of virtue, of truth, when you see somebody who knows how to, how to wait for the right time, there's a selfless gladness comes up. There's a beauty there. So generosity, or patience, or kindness. People are willing to put aside... Uh, attachment to my way of doing things and, and be kind to somebody. Yeah. Or forbearance also. You, you look at what's going on in the world, you know, the difficulties and the pain, and, and then you, for instance, you look at somebody like Aung San Suu Kyi in Burma. Yeah. You look at pictures of the army generals, and what do you feel? Hopefully you feel compassion. You might feel a little other things, but then you bring the mind back and you feel compassion. Yeah. Sadness. Sadness at how delusion grabs human beings. And then you look at Aung San Suu Kyi. You don't feel sad. I mean, she might be experiencing a lot of pain, but you don't feel sad. You f there's a gladness. There's a selfless gladness there. There's a beauty. And this is you know, an occasion like this. Uh, somebody going forth is a beautiful thing. Uh, a truly beautiful thing. But it's not the beauty of fashion or the beauty of a beautiful complexion or the beauty of wealth or the beauty of fame. You know, these things, are, they have their place in life, but we all know that those things don't last. And the reason that patience and kindness and generosity are really beautiful is because they have lasting value. And so... Even if we don't really understand, and sometimes when people witness a ceremony like this and they, they don't really understand, you know, why is you know, an otherwise intelligent, sensible fellow wasting his life by going to a monastery to sit and do nothing all day long? He could be out making money or doing something useful. Sometimes people think that. But even, even if they think that, they look at it, they're often touched by the gesture, by the ritual, because there is a message there's a message that on some level we recognize that it's, it's very difficult to give up the habit of getting my way. Mm. The easiest thing in the world is to 
follow my way, to do what I want. I find it much easier to do what I want. If Ajahn Punyo wants me to do what he wants, and I want to do what I want, it's easier to do what I want than to do what he wants. We've known each other for how many years? 20 years? 20 years we've known each other. And I still find it easier to do what I want than to do what he wants. <laughs> That's just the way it is. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just true. It's like sugar tastes sweet, salt tastes salty. Following my way is much easier than following a way that I don't want to go. And so we have spiritual teachings, spiritual disciplines that raise up this challenge so that we get a, a clear perspective on what's the most important task in life, to be able to live our life so we don't have to follow my way. If we always have to follow my way, it's really tedious, it's really difficult, because you're living with all these other people who their way conflicts with my way. And if we don't have a perspective on this, well, then life is very difficult. In fact, it's endlessly frustrating just with a kind of an occasional interlude. You know, you get a, a break from the frustration from time to time when you get your own way. But then, sure enough, you're going to collide with not getting your own way. Like, uh, I've just come back from Cornwall. And uh, I was staying with a good friend there who has a, he has a, a couple of little houses on the beach, um, a place called Gwythian Towens. Um, and near St. Ives. Any of you that have read um, Virginia Woolf to the lighthouse? Well, that's where it is. That's the lighthouse. And uh, it's a very nice place and very quiet and very peaceful. And, and I must say, I was really enjoying myself there, just to be on my own and to be quiet and, and uh, peaceful. And, and mine was getting a little reflective and contemplative, a little more than usual about things. I wasn't worrying. Hatsunabinanda was doing the kitchen and going spare with that and and Hiriko here was looking after all the guests and doing everything else and one day I was walking along the beach and and I didn't have my glasses on because I didn't want them to get damaged by the sand, you know, so I'm walking on and I saw I saw some driftwood in the few, in the distance. I thought, Well that's nice. I, I I go and sit on the driftwood. Coming from New Zealand where the beaches sometimes you find these huge big logs that have been washing around the Pacific Ocean for decades and bleached with the sun and the sand and the salt water and, and they're really nice just to, you know, and the sun there to sit. And One of my favorite activities is sitting on a piece of driftwood on a beach all of my own. And I saw some driftwood and, oh, yeah, so I'm going towards the driftwood. And, and I got closer and as I got closer I realized that it was a great big, very ugly plastic bag that had fallen off a ship somewhere. I mean, very big. I mean, massive plastic bag. It's probably going to be there for hundreds of years. It's not going to rot. And, and on top of it was a dog turd, you know, <laughs> just to finish it off. And, but because I was in a contemplative mode, I thought, oh, that's disappointment. Yes, that's disappointment. I didn't react into thinking, oh, those shipping people, you know, dumping and polluting the ocean. Because that's what we can do, isn't it? If we're not in a balanced state of mind, we blame. We blame somebody. You know, I was looking forward to sitting on a nice piece of driftwood on the beach, and I'm disappointed. And when the pain of disappointment comes, if we're not properly prepared, if our hearts are not in good shape, then what do we do with that pain? We project it out onto the world, and we blame somebody for it. And with our thinking, 
And sadly, even with our speech and even with our actions, when we don't know how to deal with the natural pain of life, then what we do is we put it out onto the world and we hurt the world and we hurt other people. And so what the Buddha's teaching, but all true spiritual teachings are about, it's not about running away from the pain of life, but being able to live our lives in this world and to feel the pain of life when it comes to us, the pain of disappointment, the pain of loneliness, the pain of of loss, all these things that are very natural. Like the Buddha experienced loss, loss of physical vitality. And he was talking about what it was like when he was old and he had arthritis in his back. The loss of his disciples. When Sariputta Moggallana died, and he talked about, he said it was like the sun and the moon have gone out of the sky. The perception of loss. Or the loss of harmony. When the monks were all fighting and squabbling, sometimes all the monks, you know, getting into argy-bargy and fighting, there was loss of harmony and concord in the community. And so the Buddha experienced the perception of loss. Yeah. Realizing Dhamma doesn't take away the experience of pain. What it does is it means that we don't turn the pain of life into suffering. Yeah. There's a difference between pain and suffering. If our hearts and minds are well-trained, well-prepared, and as the Buddha encourages, with with mindfulness, with patience, with kindness, with generosity, and then ultimately with understanding, with clear seeing, that's the point of all of this, if our hearts are prepared with these, these abilities, these strengths, these forces, if our hearts and minds and bodies are prepared with these things, well then the experience is that when frustration, disappointment, sorrow, sadness comes to us, grief, loss comes to us, what happens is instead of the heart contracting around it and then hurting so much that we then react by pushing our pain out onto the world and blaming and hurting other people, what happens is the heart expands, the awareness increases, consciousness opens up and receives the suffering of life with understanding and compassion. And that's why the Buddha kept pointing to suffering as the message. Because suffering is, suffering is what teaches us wisdom and compassion. Yeah. Of course, we read the Buddha's teachings, we have wisdom and compassion. Oh, yeah, love and light and all that. I want more. Give me more. Love and light, wisdom and compassion. Yeah. Where do we get it? Well, where do we get it? We get it by coming to the very place where we haven't got it. The place where we're suffering. The place where we're disappointed. And so that's what Neil has done today. Yeah, that's what Samanera Visuddhi is all about. That's what this statement of the renunciate lifestyle is about. It's a, it's a statement in the world, a statement for us who are living this way, but also a statement for others, for people to see that actually suffering is not an indictment against who we are. Because we're suffering, it doesn't mean to say we're failing. When we're suffering, it means we're in exactly the right place to learn what we need to learn. We don't learn what we need to learn anywhere else. Now, not, not, doesn't, not necessarily what we want to hear, is it? What we want to hear is love and light and wisdom and compassion. And Well, yes, those are, that's, that's, that's the reward. That's the fruit. The Buddha called it the fruit, the pala, the fruit. But first we've got to walk the way. And so the Buddha said, he's very sorry, but 
He can't walk the way for us. All he can do is point the way. And so the Buddha is pointing the way, giving the teaching. That's what he's doing up here. He's giving the teaching, the teaching, the four noble truths. The first noble truth is suffering. Suffering is not an enemy. When we're experiencing suffering, it's not because we're failing. When we're experiencing suffering, if we can experience suffering with mindfulness, with presence, with here and now awareness, then we've got the best opportunity for learning what we need to learn so as to stop doing what we're doing that creates the suffering in the first place. So whatever it is that we're doing, habitually, compulsively, continually, that gives us the feeling of incompleteness, this is true for all beings, all religions, all races, all genders, all creeds. Yeah. All beings have this experience of there's something lacking, there's something missing. And then maybe, perhaps for most of us, at, there are little moments in life where something opens. It's like a door opens or a window opens. Something happens. Maybe it's in some company or maybe it's on your own. We're out in a beautiful situation some magic happens where we stop doing what we're doing, which keeps the heart closed and, and lonely and dark. Something, there's an opening, and we catch a glimpse of something incredibly beautiful. Yeah. You maybe catch these glimpses, and then you start a new age movement and a new religion and start singing songs about it, writing poetry about it, and, and you get lots of followers if you're very clever. And, and Because everybody wants it. Everybody... Everybody's had a glimpse, or at least they have an intuition, that there's something there. There's something beyond all that which comes and goes. Yeah. We have on some level an intuition that there is something profoundly important and, and indescribably beautiful that human beings can realize. And so finding, out, finding that way that takes us one step at a time closer to that realization. If we're heedless, well, then we just apply our worldliness to our spiritual life and we get all greedy about spiritual insights as well. I keep telling, well, he was Dogat in those days. Now he's we Sudi. I keep telling him, so just be contented with living your life one moment at a time. And he's a very ambitious fellow. It's a good sign on one level. have a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of passion. But that passion also has to be tempered with restraint, with discipline, with patience, with endurance, because if we get greedy about our spiritual life, always trying to become more wise, trying to become more pure, trying to become more compassionate, we never really experience this. And this is where the answer is. This, here and now, is the only place, here and now is the only place that change can take place. Change can't take place in the past, that's gone. As the Buddha said, the past is dead. As he the past is dead. Yeah. And he said, the future is not yet born. Change will never happen in the future. Have you ever known the future? You can't know the future. We can only know this. And so if we get greedy, even about spiritual insights, about becoming wiser or more compassionate or more pure or more anything, then we can lose touch with this. And so... All true spiritual disciplines are encouragements based on people who have experienced that opening, have seen what's beyond the way things appear to be, the things that fool us all the time, over and over again. People who know this intimately 
have given us a teaching, and thankfully have given us this teaching, so that we can walk this way, and as I said, one moment at a time, let go just a little bit of this selfish contraction of my way. For Buddhists, we say, I go for refuge to the Buddha's way. I go for refuge to the Dhamma. I go for refuge to the Sangha. We don't, go, we don't say, I go for refuge to my way. Yeah. We go, Buddhang Saranagachami, Dhammang Saranagachami, Sankhang Saranagachami. There's no Atang Saranagachami. Yeah. Yeah. We've recognized that going for refuge to my way, as interesting as it can be at times, it can be very interesting, it can be very exciting, it can be fun, but it doesn't take us there. Well, the only place it takes us to is more desire. And so what the Buddha was pointing out was it's not by running away from the world or pretending that we don't have desires or pretending that we don't have my way, but rather becoming so clear, so accurate, so present, so responsible, truly responsible in the whole body-mind for what we're doing, which creates this feeling of lack, that creates this feeling of loss, that creates the suffering, that letting go happens. And that's the fruit. Now, without a teaching, without a training, well, it can be very difficult. And all of us know, even with a teaching, even with a training, it's difficult. But fortunately, we have the Buddha set up the Sangha, uh, the monastic Sangha of, of uh, people who choose to live this life as a lifestyle where they, they've uh, had a look around at the things that are available and they say, okay, well, you can do all these things, but my heart's not in it. I know this was the experience I had and you know, checked out a few things and I know it was the experience that Neil had. I think he checked out a lot more than I did. And uh, so he's perhaps even more sure than I was at the time. <laughs> I'm just pleased he made it, quite frankly. <laughs> he checked out so much for so long. But anyway, he's made it, and he's quite clear, and he's had a close look at this, and he has faith and confidence in this. And that's not mean, that doesn't mean to say that everybody should be doing this. Well, that's why I said that I'm really pleased that all of us are here to participate at this, each in our own way, to take delight in this, because... What's most important in life is that we each find our own way to learning how to let go. What works for me? What works here and now? How, how do I learn the lesson? How do I learn the lesson that I need to learn so that I stop doing this grasping? And that's going to be different for everybody. Now, many times I come across people in the, in the West since leaving Thailand. I mean, in Thailand, nobody ever asked me this question, but many times we've been asked in England, oh, what would happen if everybody became a Buddhist monk? And I'd say, well, what would happen if everybody became a hairdresser? Hmm. I mean, it's just a non-question, isn't it? I mean, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I mean, there's no way everybody would ever become a hairdresser yeah. or an astronaut. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Likewise, it's not going to happen that everybody's going to become a monk or a nun. It's just not a question. It's a non-question. But what is important, an important question, is, is what works for me? How do I find what I need to be doing to take full responsibility for this life? So as I'm addressing this feeling of lacking, 
And if we have this appreciation, well, then we're not going to judge other people. That doesn't mean to say that we, we can't have discriminative faculties. It doesn't mean to say that we just say, oh, everything's all the same, you know, we're all doing the same thing. Well, personally, I don't think that's true. I don't think everything's the same. I think there's a, a lot you can be doing that's uh, increasing suffering in life. There's a lot of uh, spiritual teachings around that that uh, increasing people's suffering. And the Buddha encouraged a path of awareness and said that this is what's necessary. Mindfulness is essential. If there isn't right mindfulness, well, then it's not possible for us to let go of these tendencies of clinging. And so we have this encouragement to, to cultivate this path, to walk this path of increasing the skills of moment by moment, letting go, letting go, until we have increased faith in it, until it becomes, it becomes natural to us. And for every increase in the momentum of letting go, there's an increase in gladness and joy and the benefit of it as well. And it can be. I must say, I find it, I find it puzzling when I, I see people um, who uh, are not just critical of, 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 for instance, this choice that's being made today, not just critical of it, but actually think it's a waste of time. Um, but then I suppose it's like, you know, it's like anything. You just get used to it and uh, it becomes comfortable and then you end up taking it for granted. Uh, while I was staying with my friend down in Cornwall, uh, there was something on the television a few days ago, um, Channel 4, and they went around asking people, uh, what matters most in life? And it was interesting to watch what matters most. You know, people had their own opinions about what matters most. Very, very few people said religion. Very few people said religion. And almost all of the things that people said were things that if you invest everything in them, it's guaranteed you're going to get disappointed. Because even your closest friends are going to die. And you're going to die. And no matter how much money we've got or what reputation we've got or what security we might build up, all of these things actually we can lose. Well, one of the things that matters most in life, in, in my opinion, is that we, we learn to take that question deeper within ourselves and learn to answer it with increased honesty. We don't ask other people to tell us what matters most in life because there's lots of people, lots of people around who will tell us that. They'll tell us what they think matters most. But rather to ask ourselves that question, what matters most? Often I'll ask this on a meditation retreat. After that we've been meditating together for about three days in silence, and I'll ask everybody to share in a meditation of um, imagining that you're at the end of your life. You know, just imagine, say, you're, you're 80 years old, and... Uh, you know, you're dying. You had a good life, and, and uh, this is it. You haven't got long to live now. And then, and then a young person comes, you know, somebody about 20 years old, who's got their life ahead of them, somebody, you know, maybe family member, somebody you love dearly, comes to you and asks you, and you're taking this as a meditation, right? and they ask you, you know, what matters most in life? You've lived your life fully. You've lived your life now. You've seen. Can you tell me, please tell me, what matters most in life? 
And as a meditation, that's, that's, that's very interesting. If you, if you try that out sometimes, just see that we all have a place within ourselves where we go, where we know what matters most. We have a place within us where we know what matters most. And if we become more intimate with that, we become, we become more at one with that, well, then we discover there's also an increased feeling of completeness. That the feeling of lacking that, that all beings suffer from is not dealt with by getting more, but really recognizing what we've already got. And so we all, each of us in our own way, need to find out how to do this, whether it's in a committed relationship, whether it's a single person, whether it's in the householder's life, getting a job, working, or whether it's making this choice, living the celibate renunciate life. It's still aiming in the same direction. That we, we have this feeling of lacking. We have this feeling of something missing, something that's not whole. And if we hear the Buddha's teaching accurately, well, then we'll hear an encouragement to go inwards and ask this question, what matters most? And so on this occasion of Samanera Visuti taking up the, the novice precepts and going one step closer towards his commitment to become a Buddhist monk, uh, I'd like to encourage us all to take this as a, as a, uh, a reminder as a reminder that we have this possibility. We can make this choice. We can choose to go shopping, as we will. You will from time to time. We can choose to go on holiday. We can choose to distract ourselves. But we can also choose, and, and this is the encouragement, we also choose to stop and be still. This is the... This robe, this is the sign of a samana. Yeah, you're familiar with the word samana? And, uh, the Buddha used the word the samana as somebody who has gone forth yeah, as a samana. And uh, the root of this word samana is very interesting. It's the same, same word as samatha. Yeah, samatha, calm, stillness. And a samana is somebody who is stilled. And that's why we're, and we're chanting the Mahamangala Sutta before the discourse on great blessings. Samana nancha dasanang etang mangala mutamang. The sight of a samana is the greatest blessing. Yeah. Now, why is it a great blessing? Yeah. Not just to see your mate here, Neil, doing something good. I mean, that's nice, but that's not, that doesn't constitute a blessing. What's a blessing is when the heart, when something here recognizes what this symbolizes that we can, as human beings, find perfect stillness, unshakable stillness. Yeah. The sight of a samana is a blessing because it reminds us of this. It reminds us that all of us have this possibility. Whatever our choice of lifestyle, all of us have this possibility. We do not have to be swayed around by all the comings and goings of life. nakampati. Even though you, we're blown around by the worldly winds of praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and suffering, honor and insignificance, all of us are blown around by all of the stuff of the world. Jitang, the heart, yasang, nakampati, which means is unshakable. Asokang, wirjang, kemang, griefless, dustless, 
secure. That's the, that's the second to last dis, uh, stanza in that, in that discourse on great blessing. So how do we realize that? Well, that's, then that's the verse in between those two, which is the realization of four noble truths, which is what this is all about, that when suffering comes to us, they're saying this is not a sign that we've failed, not at all. And when we're feeling suffering of life, say, this is the very point we need to be in to learn what we need to learn to be free. So this is the gift that we Suti is giving us today and what I'd like you all to remember. Ewa. <laughs> Pandiyang Namavadakatasa Rupa Rang Ramasim